Um, but anyway, he, I called him and I said, hey, I said, I, I, we, we, they, they're, they're getting tired of this thing, okay? We need a new one. And so I said, why don't you come out and, and film this? We're doing a baby dedication and stuff. So he was, he was nice enough to, uh, to do that. So anyway, he's a great guy, though. You should, go, you should go say hi to him. So, but you all, all look great today, by the way. I'm sorry I didn't give you any kind of pre-warning, but you're all beautiful. You're, you're so great. Um, but I'm definitely throwing you guys up on YouTube. So anyway, but, you know, one of the things that was really bothersome about Jesus was his over-assumption of people's capabilities. Like when you look at Jesus's ministry and especially his relationship between the apostles, the disciples, he had this huge, 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 grandioso idea of what they were actually able to do. And so he kept putting them in these situations where they were in way over their head, where they would fall flat on their face. And I think many times they were looking at Jesus, Jesus like, oh, you guys could do this. Don't worry about it. And they're like, Jesus, you know, we, we have no clue what we're doing. What are you talking about? But really they should have seen this coming because Jesus starts this right from the beginning, right from the get go. He, he, even when he invited them, okay, they're, they're out on a boat. They're a bunch of fishermen. They, they've been on a boat all night. And Jesus says, Hey man, come follow me. Come follow me. And why, why would they do that? He, he gives them an invitation. He goes, Hey, I will send you out to fish for people which we should have known right there where everything was going and how it was going to go because these men had been on a boat. This was their profession. They were fishermen. And guess what? If you read the story, they caught zero fish. And Jesus is like, hey, you guys are some sort of fishermen. I tell you what, why don't you come with me and I will teach you how to fish for people, which they probably would have been like, should have been like, man, we can't even catch fish. How in the world are we going to be people who can catch other people? Like this doesn't even make sense. But Jesus continued to do this. He, he put them in these scenarios and these, these, these different environments where there would be this tension where God had huge expectations for them. But they, they would fall flat on their face. As a matter of fact, later on, John remembers when Jesus said this. He goes, man, I'm so excited for you guys. I tell you what. He says, I truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me like you guys do. Whoever believes in me will do works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm, I'm, I'm off and I'm going to the Father. I mean, think about that for a minute. Think about if that would even happen today. Think about if I even called you today. And I was like, man, I am so excited for you. I tell you truly, you are going to do greater things than Jesus himself did. You would go... Are you out of your loving mind? Like what kind of what kind of NyQuil have you been sipping, man? Like there's no way I could ever do greater things than Jesus. The apostles were sitting there going, there's no way we are ever going to do greater things than Jesus. But the thing is, and John would talk about this later in his gospel. John, John's gospel is so unique. They're each unique in their own way. But I love John's gospel because he wrote this at the end of his life. So he has all this perspective and stuff. And he talks about how Jesus had these faith tests. How Jesus would put them in these artificial moments of tension. And they were designed to stretch their faith and blow up their faith. And the reason is because he knew how short of a time he had. So he had this short amount of time and he was trying to use every moment he could to grow up and blow up their faith. And in the middle of these artificial moments, these created training sessions of Jesus's, there were these opportunities for them to grow 
But the thing is, is that that challenge, that test that existed there, that invitation, not only did it exist for them, but it also exists for us still today. And probably one of the most memorable uh, points of tension, these artificial training sessions that Jesus would create, was when Jesus fed the 5,000. Actually, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, this this story is recorded in all of the Gospels because all of them remember this point in time in their faith journey. Whether it was Peter or it was John or it was Matthew, they all remember this point in time. And this is is how the story goes. It says that Jesus was teaching 5,000 people on a hill. I mean, it was just people everywhere. And as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, um, this is a very remote place and it's already getting very late, which we all know what was really up. The apostles weren't really concerned about everybody else. What they were really doing is they were coming to Jesus and going, Jesus, we need a dinner break. Okay. I don't know if you've looked around. We're in the middle of nowhere. Okay. The nearest Mickey D's is like 10 miles from here. Okay. It's a very remote place. Hey, we got an idea. Okay. And he turns to him and, and this is what he says, send the crowds away. Jesus, send the crowds away so they could, they can go to the villages and, and buy some Mickey D's, you know, and then everybody could come back and we can kind of restart this whole thing, but let's just send everybody away for a dinner break. You know, just being practical. And then I think Jesus looks at him maybe with like a a half smile. (laughs) He goes, hey, you know what? I tell you what, I got an idea. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. Why don't you give them something to eat? To which the disciples probably went, there he goes again. If you're just joining us in this series, we are talking about faith for the next uh, six weeks. And we're in part three of this series. And we've been talking about faith and, and what grows up and blows up our faith. And what we learned from the very beginning is that Jesus was amazed by two things. There were two things that made Jesus's jaw drop. Great faith and lack of faith. It was when he saw great faith and the opposite of that lack of faith that Jesus was amazed. And the thing is, is that Jesus is, is, is most amazed by our confidence, by our trust in him. And it's for this reason that Jesus's initial invitation to his disciples was to follow me before they believed anything. He said, I want you to follow me because Jesus knew that it was by following that we would learn to put our trust, to put our faith In Jesus. And so Jesus came and kind of dismantled the box because everything that had been told up until that point was just to believe. And maybe that's true of your faith story too. That when it comes to your faith journey or how you became a Christian or how you were introduced to Christianity, maybe you had this moment, you came down to an altar or you prayed with somebody and you're like, okay, so how do I start this thing? And that was what they told you. Well, you just need to believe. Just believe that Jesus died for your sins. Just invite Jesus into your heart. Just believe in the resurrection and the cross and and, and all of this stuff. And you're like, well, that's it? All I got to do is believe? All right, well, sign me up. I believe then. Okay, so pray, head nod, and oh, you're going to heaven all of a sudden. But the thing that every single one of us know, probably the reason you're here is because you know that belief leaves you exactly where you are. It's not belief that gets you anywhere further. It's not belief that gets you through the storms of life. And what we've learned in this series is that although the church has dumbed it down to simply believe that Jesus' initial invitation was for us to follow, 
And that God, God is most honored. God is most honored by our living, active, death-defying, in spite of faith. This is what God honors God. This is what makes God's jaw drop. Is when our faith is not something that's simply in our heart or in our mind. But it, it causes us to do things. It's lived out. It's death-defying. It's in spite of what's going on. So the thing that we're trying to understand now that we've got a little bit of a better grasp of what faith is. Our confidence and our trust in God. But a, an active, death-defying, living trust in God. What fuels, what fuels or facilitates the development of big faith, of enduring faith? Like, depending on where I am, maybe I'm brand new to this thing, okay? I'm brand new to the faith and I've just been introduced to this. How do I grow up and blow up my faith? Or for some of you who have been people of great faith, but maybe you felt like over time your, your faith has kind of shrunk. Maybe, maybe it's, it's kind of become feeble or fragile. Or maybe it's something you've completely walked away from and you're trying to understand how do you walk back into it. What is it that that develops our faith, that grows it up and blows it up? And the first thing we talked about last week was practical teaching. That at some point in time, if you talk to somebody of great faith, they'll tell you, oh man, along the way what happened was somebody explained this to me in such a way. They explained the teachings of Jesus to me where it felt like all of a sudden I had handlebars to grab hold of. All of a sudden I knew what to do. I knew how to take the words and teachings of Jesus and I knew how to make it applicable. I applied it to my life and I actually knew how to live it out. And we talked about how Jesus said that that is what grows a great foundation. He says, that's how you grow a foundation on the rock. Is by taking the words and not simply hearing them, but putting them into practice. And the thing is, is that when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, that's when our faith grows. Because faith, like we talked about, is like a muscle. Faith is like a muscle. And it's got to be active. It's got to be stretched. It's got to have some tension on it. We've got to have some weight on the bar. And we've got to work that faith muscle. And when we work that faith muscle, when we put our confidence in God and go, all right, well, this is what you say I should do. This is who you say I should forgive. This is how you say I should give away what I have. Well, I'm going to trust you with that. And I'm going to actually do it, not simply believe it. It's when we do that, that on the other side of the event, on the other side of the conversation, on the other side of the exercise, we experience God's faithfulness. And that, that causes our faith to grow. That causes our trust in God to go up a notch. Now, the second thing that we're going to talk about this week is this. Personal ministry. Personal ministry. Because the thing is, is when you talk to somebody of great faith, they'll tell you of a time. And it's a time where they tell a story, a story of stepping into someone else's story. And they'll really, a lot of times, it sounds exactly the same. They'll say, well, thing is, is I felt a nudge. I felt, I felt a nudge. I saw a problem. I saw somebody. I saw a group of people. I saw something and it broke my heart. And I felt like I needed to do something. I felt like I needed to say something. I feel like I needed to get a group of people together and we, we, we needed to, to, to go and do something about this. 
And all of a sudden, these people talk about how they, they didn't feel like they had what it took. They were nervous. They felt like they were in over their head. And then you, usually this is where the tears start coming. Because it's always an emotional thing. Because it's always somebody who feels like they're not enough, nor do they have enough. But they answer the call. They answer the nudge. And then God shows up. And then God answers prayers. And then God provides resources. And then things start to come together. People's lives are changed. People are healed. Needs are answered. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, for the first time in my life, that was my experience of seeing God at work. And a lot of times, you'll hear the same things. You'll hear people say, I was nervous. I was in over my head. I felt inadequate and unqualified, but I knew it was what God wanted me to do. And that's the thing. The thing is, is that for every single one of us, we feel that nudge. We feel that call. And a lot of times we think to ourselves, God, you must have been calling the wrong person. I think you meant to call Michael. He's a short guy. He lives in Moscow Mills, okay? I think that's who you meant to call. God, not me. I don't have the ability. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I couldn't be that guy or I couldn't be that girl. But here's the thing. Pushing through our inadequacy in order to say yes to God for the benefit of other people Grows our faith. Pushing through my inadequacies. I'm too young. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a kid. What could I ever do? Who could I ever help? Pushing through my inadequacies. I'm too old. There's no way they would want me helping with those people. There's no way they would want me helping with those kids. I'm not qualified for that. I don't have the ability to speak. I don't have the financial margin. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. Whatever it may be. Pushing through your inadequacy. And being obedient to the nudge, being obedient to the call and saying, well, God, if you say I should go, if you say I should do it, if you say I should start it, all right, I'll say yes. When you say yes for the benefit of other people, that's when your faith grows. It's when your faith blows up and grows up. Now, I know what somebody's thinking in this room. So one of you are thinking in this room did my wife email him, okay? Didn't, didn't, did my husband call him this week and say, you know, they're really struggling with this. They're feeling this nudge. They're feeling like they're supposed to do this right now. But they got, they got a lot of hangups and they're, they're really nervous about it. They're really anxious about it. So somebody's probably thinking that in this room because I hear those kind of conversations all the time. But here's the thing. I understand what that feels like. When you feel like, man, I feel like, uh, I feel like I should get involved. I feel like I should serve. I feel like I should help. But I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the right guy. Maybe I'm not the right girl for this. Maybe I shouldn't. I understand that. But I also understand too, that a lot of times when you lay off that nudge, when you lay off that calling, when you try to shrug it off, man, it chases you down. It will haunt you. I'm telling you that right now. I mean, I'm telling you, whenever, whenever I started this, this thing, I did not want to do it. 
Okay. I've told this story so many times, but this week I had, I had gateway fiber out at my house installing the internet and the guy saw my anchored hope hat and he was like, Oh, what do you do for a living? And I was like, you know, this conversation is always just fascinating to people. So he's like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a pastor. He's like, Oh, I got so many questions for you. You know? So he's like, so was that like a thing? Like you always wanted to do or something? And I was like, absolutely not. No, no. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I wanted to be a chiropractor. I was going to go to SEMO and I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And then one day when I was a junior in high school, I went to youth camp. And while the guy was preaching, I felt this nudge. I felt like God was just being like, that's what I want you to do. And, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew up around this stuff. I know how the food is made in the kitchen, guys. And I was like, no, Jesus, please, no, spare my life. Let me do something. Let me do something else, please. And so I even went home. I even told my dad, which again, many of you are probably thinking like, I bet your dad was so proud of you. He just embraced you and was like, oh my gosh, son, you want to be a pastor too. Thank you. Welcome to the family business. I told my dad, I said, God, I said, dad, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. He goes, oh, please don't. Please, please tell me no. And I was like, Dad, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel, feel like a nudge. I feel like a call. I can't get away from it. I can't shake it off. We were literally in front of, in front of there used to be a store on 94 called Drum Headquarters. It's where I did drum lessons. And I told my dad, and I'll never forget, my dad looked at me and he goes, get out of the car and go to your drum lesson. So I did. I went to my drum lesson. We didn't talk about it for a long time, but the nudge didn't go away. The call didn't go away. And my dad would check on me every once in a while. You still feeling it? Yeah, I'm still feeling it. It's like an itch that I can't get rid of, like a rash I can't get rid of is what I should call it. And he's like, oh. And so anyway, I ended up going to college for ministry. Ended up going to college for ministry. And I'll never forget, first day, first day of class, uh, I go in a Mark Hayes introduction to ministry class. And I'm sitting there with like 30 some odd other, other guys and girls who are called to ministry. And day one, Mark's like, why don't we go around the room and everybody tell why, why you want to be a pastor. And everybody's telling these beautiful, you know, hallmark stories of why they want to be a pastor. You know, why I was a bad kid and Jesus saved my life and I want to help save other people's lives. And, you know, God got a hold of me and God did this. God spoke to me in a dream and there was a dove and all this stuff. And it gets to me and they're like, Michael, tell us what, why you want to be a pastor. And I was like, because I have to. <laughs> Stupid. I don't even want to do it, you know, but I have to be. Which, by the way, you might think, you know, you might think a little differently because of that. Let me tell you something. Out of 35 people I graduated with. Two of us are the only ones that are still pastors, and I'm one of them. So I think I did it the right way. But anyway, so, but I get that. I know what it's like to struggle with that, to fight with that. This, this feeling, this nudge, like you're supposed to do something, but you don't feel like it should be you. You don't feel like you have what it takes. You think maybe later, maybe when I have more money, maybe when I have more time, maybe, maybe when I have a different uh, ability or something like that. But here's what my dad did taught me. And this was very, very important. He said, son, a call is something you don't think you could ever do, but it feels like you just have to. A call is something you don't feel like you can do, but man, you can't get away from it. You can't escape it. You just feel like you have to. And the thing is, is that for every single one of us, our response to that nudge, to that call the hope that God has for every single one of us is that what we would say back is say, all right, God, I'm going to do what I can do and trust that you can do what you do. 
And the thing is, is, and this is very important to me. I've said this before, but I need you to pay close attention to this, okay? You have no idea. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes to that nudge. You don't know what, but a better way of saying it is you don't know who hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes to that nudge. So, back to our story. Let's recap a little bit in case you forgot. As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Why don't we send everybody home? That way they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus, with a big old grin on his face, he turns around and he goes, All right. Nah, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, think about if you were the apostles for just a second. Jesus looks at you. you you've just made it very, very aware to everybody that there's a huge problem. Okay? Everybody's hungry. We need to feed these people. There's 5,000 people, okay? We need, to feed, we need to feed these people, Jesus. What are we going to do? And Jesus goes, hmm, I don't know. You come up with a solution. Why does Jesus do that? I mean, Jesus knew how this was going to end. Jesus knew where this was going to go. John actually, when he tells a story, again, he has all this perspective. So when he tells this story, he, he knows later on what was really going on. And he says, he goes, this was a, this was a test of our faith. The reason Jesus was doing this was to put us in a position. He was basically taking us into the weight room and was like, hey, this is a good opportunity for a workout. So let's, let's work out your faith in the middle of this. Let's put you in a situation that seems impossible. And let's see what you do. Let's see how in the world you respond to it. And here's the thing is that Jesus puts them in this situation where they have to participate. And I think Jesus, that's the way he works so many times. Is that Jesus puts us in a scenario. Jesus puts us in a position where he goes, hey, you want me to do something? Okay. Well, I want you to participate in it. I want you to be a part of the solution. I want you to have some skin in the game. I'm going to put my hands on this, but I want you to put your hands on this too. Because this just isn't about me doing something. This is about you too. And here's a great opportunity to grow up and blow up your faith. So what do you want me to do? What do you, who do you want me to do it for? How do you want me to be active in the world? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to get you involved in it. And so that's exactly what he tells the disciples. Well, why don't you guys think about it for a minute? Why don't you guys think about what you could possibly do? And so I just imagine for a minute, the apostles got together and kind of huddled up. And they're like, all right, there's 5,000 people here, boys. I don't know what in the world he thinks we're going to do, but we got to come up with something quick. All right, let's go into the crowd. Let's try to shake down every single person we can find with food. Maybe something will come up. All right, ready? Break. And so they all break and they go running out in the crowd and they go, hey, anybody got any food? Anybody got any food? Anybody? Anybody? No? Nothing? Yeah. Okay. All right. Woo. All right. So then they all come back together and they're like, did you find anything, Peter? No, I didn't find anything. John, did you find anything? Uh, nada. Nada. Not a thing. Okay. And then here comes Andrew. Okay. Andrew's running and he goes, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And they're like, oh, sweet. So here comes Andrew. And he goes, hey, guys, I found some food. We're all good. I stole this kid's lunchbox. Here we go. I got, I got us something. Got here, right here. Okay. And they're looking at Andrew going, Andrew, 
That's a Minecraft lunchbox, okay? There, what in the world? What in the world could be in there, Andrew? There's 5,000 people. And he probably opens it up and he goes, Ah, uh, looks like there's a couple loaves of bread and two fish. Okay. What do you think? <laughs> and they're like, Man, all right. Well, um, all right. Tell you what, let's, let's, let's go see what Jesus thinks. All right. So they, they go to Jesus and they go, Hey, Jesus. Um, this is what we got. This is what we found. This is uh, what we could come up with. Uh, yeah, I know. I, what, can we, we're just going to have to send everybody home, you know? And, and they come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus. They say, we have here five loaves of bread and two fish. This is what we got. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And I'm sure there's disappointment. Like, this is all we have. And they know this is not enough. This is not enough. This is all we have, Jesus. We're so sorry. Clearly, this is not going to happen today. We failed. This need is not going to be taken care of. But you told us to go. And we went. We tried our best. We did all we could do. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus turns to them. And I think, again, he had a little bit of a smile on his face. Jesus goes, Bring them here to me. Just bring them here to me. And here's the thing. And this is really important. So if you've tuned out, I want you to tune back in for just a second. Every single one of us have something. Every single one of us have our own little personal Minecraft lunchbox. And you might think to yourself, this is all I got. I've got a little bit of time. I got a little bit of financial margin. I got a little bit of energy left. I got one night of the week. I've got an hour here and I got an hour there. I've got like a small thimble's worth of ability to talk. Like my ability to speak is that of a toddler who's watched a little bit of YouTube, Lord. Like this is, this is what I have. I have a little bit of personality. I have a house. Uh, I have uh, a job. I have a couple resources. I'm a little networked. I know a, a guy. I know one guy. God, that's all I have. I have one guy. And this is what I got. And here's the thing, every single one of us, when we think of that, when we think like, this is all I've got, you know what God says? God goes, bring me what you got. I'll take that. Go ahead and bring me what you've got. Because boy, oh boy, you have no idea what I can do with the little that you have. See, we, we, we ask this question a lot around here. This is an important question. I think everybody needs to ask this question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Seriously. I think there's plenty of things to choose from in this world that we live in. What breaks your heart? Is it, is it kids without a home? Is, is it children who don't have two parents, who don't have any parents, who don't have parents that, that want them, that are growing up in, in drug-addicted, lonely homes? Is it, is it families? Is it, is it the divorce rate? Is it, is it that you want to see couples make it, that the 50% divorce rate that we're facing today just breaks your heart. You just hate to see it. Is it the faith of the next generation? Is, is it as you see this next generation and, and what they're up against and, and, and the mental health crisis that we're in the middle of? Is, is it that? Is, is it the faith of your, your co-workers? Is it the faith of your community? 
Is it the needs of the community? Is it those who have to live in shelters? Is it those who are addicted? What is it that breaks your heart? I would bet that there's something that when you see it, when you see it on social media, when you see it in the news, when you see it in real life with your own eyes, it just breaks your heart. Have you ever thought that maybe God wanted you to do something about it? That God wanted you to be involved in fixing it? That God wanted you to come up with a solution? And you've probably thought, yeah, but not me. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability. I could never do that. And you know what Jesus wants to tell you? Jesus goes, bring me what you got. Just bring me what you got. So that's exactly what the apostles did. They bring this lunchbox to Jesus and they go, well, this is what we got. And Jesus goes, that's, that's fine. Bring me what you got. And then it says next, he tells a story. Jesus starts, all right, everybody sit down. I'm about to do something really cool. Everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. So he has 5,000 people sit down and he takes the five loaves and the two fish. And he looks up to heaven. And these moments, I think, were probably so funny to see in person. Because I think in these moments, when Jesus prayed before he performed these miracles, he probably just looked up and said, all right, God, you know what I'm about to do. And I got to do this because I got to know it's from you through me. But here we go. <laughs> and it says that he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then, then he gave it to the disciples. So again, I know you know how the story ends because we've all heard this before. But just imagine for a minute, you don't know how it ends, okay? Which, honestly, I say that in so many sermons. And sometimes there's always somebody in the crowd that's like, no, I didn't grow up in church. I don't know how it ends, which is always the coolest thing in the world. So some of you, you might be on pins and needles right now. You have no clue what's going to happen, which is really exciting. So anyway, so just think about this for a minute though, all right? Jesus takes a couple loaves of bread and two fish, 5,000 people, 12 apostles standing in front of Jesus. And Jesus just looks at the apostles, starts ripping it up. And he goes, put your hands out, boys. And so they're like, all right, you know, take the shirt. Go ahead. Put it in my shirt, Lord. <laughs> you got to think about that. How did they hand it out, right? They probably just put it in their tunic or whatever, you know, which they didn't wear underwear. So maybe they didn't lift up their tunic and do that. But anyway, but, you know, maybe they just put their hands out. Maybe they had like a big, you know, like plate or something like that. But they just put it out and Jesus just starts, you know, filling up whatever they had, their hands, their tunic, their shirt, whatever he had. And then when they were full, he goes, all right, go pass it out. And just think about it for a minute. I mean, you've got this much bread and fish in your shirt and you turn around to the crowd and you're facing 5,000 people. And you're like, this is not going to go far. And they're like, we're going to look so stupid here in a minute. I'm going to go out and then the person behind me is going to go out and then we're going to run out. That's what's going to happen. But they had a decision to make. They had to decide what they were going to do. Even though it looked like it was going to be an epic fail, even though it looked like it was not going to work out, even though it looked like they did not have enough, they had to, in that moment, decide what they were going to do with the invitation that Jesus had given them. And you know what they did? They did what they knew how to do, and they trusted Jesus knew what he was up to. And so they go out to the crowd, and they hand it out, and then they're empty. And they got to turn back around, and they're thinking, man, 
I'm going to go back to this line and Jesus isn't going to have anything left. And then they get to Jesus and he's still there. (laughs) Put your hands out again, boys. So he fills them up again and they're going. All right. Okay. Well, all right. Well, I mean, this it's not going so bad, you know, but okay. So they turn back around into the crowd. They get some more people. Now it looks like, oh, we got a couple hundred knockout. You know, hey, this isn't too bad of a day. Obviously, we are about to run out. There's no way Jesus has any more. But, I, you know, I really think, you know, but this, is, this isn't bad. So, you know, they walk back with a little bit of confidence and then they go back and Jesus is still there. <laughs> still got some. And so they put their hands out again. And they're going, what in the world is happening? How in the world is this happening? And then they turn back to the crowd. And then I think at that point, they were like a little excited. They're like, this is real. Oh, my goodness. Oh, here, we got more. We got more. Here, come on. No, no, no. I don't know how it's working out, but we've got more. It's all good. And then I imagine when they're empty again, they turn around. And this time, they're kind of like, you know, got a little pep in their step to Jesus. And they go to Jesus. And there he's sitting there. And he's like, <laughs> You know, he's still dishing it out. He's still ripping it apart. And they're like, what in the world? And so they're getting even more. And this time they're just running out to the crowd. They're just like, here, it's not going anywhere. And they're just feeding everybody. And they're amazed. Trip after trip after trip. And with each trip, they've gone from believing we are about to run out to probably believing we ain't ever going to run dry. And here's the thing. They get to the end of that. And by the end of that, they had complete confidence and trust in God. This is very personal for me. Very personal for me. Because here we have our own loaves and fish story. You know, eight years ago when we started this, I was just a young kid. No clue what I was doing in an area overpopulated with churches, meeting at Bonfield's auditorium with a handful of people, thinking, what in the world is our church going to matter? I wanted our church to matter. I wanted our church. Somebody posed a question to me once. They said, you know what? You're going to want a church that if you had to close tomorrow, that your church would be missed. And I looked at our church and I thought, well, it's a great church, but honestly, if we close tomorrow, we wouldn't be missed. Our community wouldn't care. And so I thought, we got to do something about that. I want, to, I want us to matter to our community. And so, you know, I went to the, the, the district offices. were right across the street from Bonfield's Auditorium. So I went in there and I just said, hey, you know, we just want to matter. You know, we, we want to do something that matters to our community. What could we do for you? You guys have allowed us to rent this facility and you, you're here. You're in our neighborhood. What could we do? And they said, well, you know, uh, Main Street Elementary is just two blocks that way. Why, you know, why don't we hook you up with him? And so I go in there and I meet Lisa, Lisa Hamlet. She's Lisa Anderson now, but she was Lisa Hamlet, the counselor there when I met her. And I said, Lisa, what, what could we do for you? How could we serve you and your students? And she said, well, you know, Christmas is coming up. Kids love shoes. I was like, yeah, kids love shoes. She goes, what if you, what if you provided shoes for 40 kids? I thought, I think I could do that. So anyway, I told her, yeah, 40 kids. So we did this event called Breakfast with Santa. Some of you remember this. We, we said, we're going to get 40 kids' shoes, and the, the school counselors are going to invite them. 
We're going to get 40 kids shoes. We're going to do a pancake breakfast and we're going to dress up Tim Dillow as Santa Claus. And he's going to give out all these shoes. Right. And so anyway, I I go to my dad. My dad was, was my lead pastor back then because we were still paired up with his church and he was pastoring here. And so he was technically my boss. And I, so I went to my dad and I said, Hey, I got this new idea. Uh, I want to give 40 kids shoes for Christmas. And he said, how much is that going to cost? And I said, about a thousand dollars. And he goes, are you out of your mind? He goes, we don't have a thousand dollars in the budget. He goes, you don't have a thousand dollars. No one has a thousand dollars. We don't have a thousand dollars. And he looked at me and he was like, this is not going to work. He said, the church, our size, our church at that time, we were like 50 or 60 people. And that's counting kids, you know, and you see how many kids there are. There are a lot of kids. We were kids. Okay. We were like in our early 20s. We were all being babysat by Martha and Larry Ware. That was the current state of our church, okay? It was like a youth group hyped up on donuts and sugar. That's what it was, okay? And my dad's looking at us going, you guys can't do that. And I immediately immediately agreed. I was like, you're absolutely right. I know. This is a big ask. You're right. Maybe, you know what? Maybe we should leave this. This is like Church on the Rock, Elevation Church. Leave that kind of thing up to those churches. You know, I'll call Morning Star in the morning and be like, hey, I got a great idea for you guys in your $5.5 million budget, okay? But then I, I just, I, don't, I spent time praying about it. I couldn't get away from the call. Couldn't get away from the nudge. God was like, no, I called you to do this and I put you in Bonfields for a reason. I put you two blocks away from Main Street Elementary. You're supposed to do this. So I went back to my dad and I said, man, I got to do this. I have to do this, dad. And he goes, if you can work it out, you can do it. It took me one pitch, one pitch to Bank of, to bank of Old Monroe. And they handed me a $1,000 check. I said, here you go. I thought, wow, okay. okay. So, we, so we did it. We did it. And then many of you know the story. We, 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 we developed it and we saw some problems and we did a lot of studying. We read a lot of books and we figured out the, the best way to empower families in a dignified way. And then that gave birth to the affordable Christmas shop. So then I came back to Lisa and I said, hey, Lisa, breakfast with Santa. It's great, but it's got some problems. I think we, we need to rethink this. I want to do this in an, I want to empower families. I want to do it in a dignified way. I want to do this affordable Christmas shop where we collect uh, money and toys. And then we, 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 we sell everything for 90% off. That way it's given in a dignified way. And, you know, here's what I want to do. And I want to take care of like 50 students. Then again, how much is that going to cost? $5,000. Okay. Again. We weren't much bigger at that time. Just a couple of us who were in our 20s decided to have babies, okay? So Darren and Shana made a baby. Me and Kate made a baby. So now we're like to 65. And again, that's just 65, five newborns in the church, okay? So we really haven't grown that much, but here we are now. Now pastor's asking for $5,000 to take care of this. And at this point, my dad's gone, okay? So now I got nobody to lean on. I'm on my own on an island asking for $5,000, you know what? We got it. We got the $5,000. We did the affordable Christmas shop. Went great. Had a little set aside for next year. Raised a little extra. Had a little bit set aside for next year. Then I'll never forget. I get invited to a meeting 
Everybody wants to hear this story. Because at that point, we had partnered with Main Street Elementary to where Lisa and Main Street Elementary, every time they had a need, anything they needed, they came to us and we answered the need. If they needed backpacks, we provided backpacks. If we, we, they needed peanut butter for their, for their food pantry, we did uh, peanut butter July month. And we had hundreds of jars of peanut butter. It didn't matter what it was. We took care of the need. And so everybody's going, what in the world's going on? Well, how is Main Street being so taken care of? And so I go to this meeting and every school is represented there with all of their counselors. And Lisa stands up and goes, let me tell you the story of how Mike Davis came to me. And we've partnered together. And this is everything we've done. And I'll never forget, we got done with that meeting. And it was kind of quiet. Everybody kind of applauded a little bit. And everybody thought it was cool. And then somebody goes, well, we want an anchored hope. Why can't our school have an anchored hope? And at first, I was like, I'll be everybody's anchored hope, you know? But I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So you know what we did? We led an initiative where we took every school in the R3 Lincoln County School District, and we found them a church to partner with. And now, every single school in the school district the high school is partnered with North Road. The, the ninth grade center is partnered with Journey Church. We led that initiative to where we live in a community where every single one of our public schools has a church taking care of their needs. And then everybody said, well, we all want to do the affordable Christmas shop. Not just Main Street Elementary. We all want to do the affordable Christmas shop. And then I go back to the church board And I'm like, hey, this is what they asked. And I told them, yes, before I ever talked to you. And then it's $20,000. Now we got to raise $20,000. And again, there have been times, there have been years where we've walked into Target. We partner with Target. They open up their store for us. We walk in with $13,000. We'll walk in with $13,000 and we need $20,000 with toys. And I've literally, like loaves and fishes at a Target scanner, I've seen how things are scanned. And things are going, well, that third one's free. Well, that one's 50% off. Well, that one's free. Well, that one's free. And somehow with $13,000, we've walked out of Target with $25,000 in toys. And so for the last few years, we've taken care of every single school in the school district. And so this year, I walk into my meeting with Lisa. Every August, I text Lisa and I go, hey, girl, it's time for us to be friends again. And I say, I need to come to your office. And I go over, she's over at uh, Lincoln now. I go over to Lincoln and I took Pastor Ashley with me this year. And I, and I said, all right, so here's the deal. And she goes, all right, well, this is how many families you guys did last year. How many do you want to do this year? And I sat there this year and I said, why don't you just raise it by 25%? Just do 25% more families. How many more families is that? And she's like, that's 50 more families. That's fine. Invite 50 more families. Mind you, at the same time, days before, I'm in Wright City talking to Wright City because I want to do an affordable Christmas shop in Wright City as well. So this year, I will do an affordable Christmas shop in Troy. I say I, we. We will do an affordable Christmas shop in Troy on December 9th. And then on December 16th, we will do, a, for the first time ever, a second affordable Christmas shop in Wright City. And I'm over here telling Troy, go ahead and up the numbers by 25%. And so we get in the car and Pastor Ashley's with me. And Pastor Ashley's like, do you know something that I don't know? 
Why, why, why? You just looked at her. You have no math to go off of. And you're like, raise it by 25%. Let the people come, you know? And, and Lisa's like, okay, I'll do more. You know what I mean? Like, what made you do that? Now, here's the thing I want you to understand about me, okay? I am the most pessimistic person you will ever meet, okay? I'm the most pessimistic person, most easily angered. The person who can think of 10 ways everything can go wrong. That's what I do, okay? I'm not an optimistic person. I'm not a person that goes everything that will just work out. But let me tell you something. It's the same thing I've told Ashley. It's the same thing I've told so many people. When it comes to the affordable Christmas shop, I always know that God will show up. I always know that no matter what the need is, that God will show up and he will give us what we need and he will probably give us even more than we need. That's not because I'm an optimistic person. That's because years ago, I said yes to the nudge. I saw a problem and I thought, we are not the church for this. We are too small. We are inadequate. There's no way we can answer this need. But I said yes to the call and then I put my confidence in God to show up and do what he does. And God has shown up for us so many times that at this point, I'll take care of every single school that I could possibly find that will let me come in and do an affordable Christian shop. I will take care of every single kid who needs it. Because I know God will use us to empower families in a dignified way. Because I've just seen him show up so many times. Every time where I thought he'll come up dry, there's nothing left. God answers the need. So the disciples in that moment, (laughs) disciples gave the people what they had. And then what happened? Well, it says this. It says they all ate and everyone was satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. In that moment, what those apostles decided, what you and I have to choose to decide, is to say this. You know what? I'll bring what I got. And I'll do what I can do. And I'll trust God to do what only he can Now, here's the interesting part of this story that sometimes pastors don't cover and we don't get into. You know what happens next? Now they're high-fiving each other. They're like, yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Did you see that with the 5,000 people? This is so cool. They got leftover bread. They're like tossing it in each other's mouths. They're like, Peter, open your mouth. There's more bread. There's more bread. This is the greatest day ever. And then you know what Jesus does next? Jesus goes, all right, everybody in the boat. You're going, What? Yep, get in the boat. Yeah, but we're having a party over here, Jesus. This is so much fun. He goes, into the boat. And you know what he does? He gets them all in the boat, and they're very confused, and they sit down. Party's over. And Jesus goes, (laughs) bye-bye. And he's like, row to the other side. Row to the other side. Yep, you'll see what happens next. Just go ahead. Row to the other side. I'll meet you over there. And do you know what happens? Jesus pushes them to go to the other side, and a storm breaks out. Pitch black, storm breaks out. They're crying like babies two, three hours later. Oh, God, what have you done to us? Freaking out, all huddled together. Peter, we're going to die. And then Jesus comes walking out on water and goes, you dinglings. 
you, you believed me back then. You had confidence in me back then. You had faith in me back then. I was hoping I'd put you on the boat. Storm would come up and you'd be like, you know what? We trusted him with our fish. We can trust him in this storm too. But that's not what you did. Dinglings. Now, Peter, come try to run on the water real quick. You know, it's, that's, that's like an abbreviation of what actually happened. But anyway, you get the point, right? But here's the thing. I think this is so true of so many of us in our faith journey. And for some of you who grew up in the faith, who once at one point in time had great faith, but you feel like it's dulled, you feel like it's died down. Do you know why that is? It's because Jesus took them through a faith exercise And they survived. They got through it. And God used it to grow up and blow up their faith. And they wanted to stand there and high five each other and be like, that was awesome. Let's just stay here. And then Jesus was like, "Uh uh-uh. If I leave you here, you won't be prepared for what's next. Because there's bigger storms ahead. There's something waiting for you that I've got to get you ready for. So, all right. You got through the loaves and the fishes. Get on the boat. I've got to put you through something else. And for many of us, the reason that our faith has become dull is because at one point in time, we had a faith exercise and we got through it. We survived it. We actually did really well. We planted a church. We, we helped some kids through Christmas. And then Jesus came along and he's like, all right, do all the schools. All right, you planted one church, go plant another one. All right, you did this, I want you to do even more. And we were like, no, no, I I don't want to get on the boat. I want to stay at the party. I I have done a good job and I would like to stay here, Jesus. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't want to leave you where you are. There's other things ahead for you and your faith. There's other things that are going to come up in your family, guys. There's other things that are going to pop up in your marriage. There's bigger problems and bigger things that God wants to use you to help conquer and change. And so he's going to throw you into another faith test. He's going to throw you into another storm. He's going to throw you into the ring again. One gym session ain't going to get it done. It's time for you to go back and guess what? God's going to slap some more plates on the side and say, all right, lift this now. That's what he does. And the disciples, man, some faith tests, they failed. Some faith tests, they passed. Some faith tests, they got through. But at the end, this is what Jesus says to him. He says, hey, you're going to go. You're going to go and make disciples of all nations. And you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the apostles probably looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, nowhere. And Jesus was like, Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I got, okay. Tell you what, Jesus. I'll bring you what I got. And I'll do what I can do. And I'll let you do what you do. And I'll trust that you're going to come through. And here we are 2,000 years later, retelling their stories. We can remember their names. We can recite what they did and what they said that day. Because here's the thing, personal ministry, personal ministry positions us to experience God's power in our weakness. You want to experience God? You want God to feel real to you? It's not going to happen in a worship song, worship experience with a particular song 
It's not going to happen in one of my messages. It's not going to happen through something on YouTube or reading a book. You know when God's going to feel most real to you? You know when you're going to come to that point where you tell a story of God at work and it makes you cry? It brings emotions into you and it just seems so real and so raw. Do you know where those those stories come from? Those stories come from somebody who feels like they don't deserve it. Somebody who feels like they're inadequate. Somebody who feels like their past disqualifies them. Somebody who feels like they don't have what it takes. But they step out and they answer the call and they say, All right, God, use me. And God does it. And God uses them. And lives are changed. And children are taken care of. And the world is made a better place. And it's on that journey that we go, Now I feel it. Now God feels real. Because the people who change the world are the people who said yes to the nudge. And the people who said no to the call, the people who said no to the nudge, do you know who they are? (laughs) No, you don't. Because nobody knows their names. Because they didn't do anything worth remembering. And for every single one of you, I know what you can do. I know that every single one of you have a lunchbox. You have something to give. And it might be small, and you might think it's inadequate. But let me tell you something, it's enough. And I know that for every single one of you, if you bring what you've got to Jesus, Jesus will go, bring it to me. And through you, and with what you've been willing to bring, I'm going to change the world through you. I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to take care of somebody else for you. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I know that every single person this morning has got a lunchbox, has got something to bring. God, would you help us to have the courage? Would you help us to have the faith to say yes? to answer the call, to bring you what we've got. And God, would you take what we have and would you use it? Would you use it for the benefit of others? Would you use us to change the world? You changed the world through a handful of men and women 2,000 years ago. And God, I believe you can do it again. You can change our country. You can change our community. You can change our families. You can change our work. You can change our, our kids' generation. You can do so much but you've asked us to participate. I can't simply sit at home and pray, God, do something about this. God, if I pray, God, this is what breaks my heart. Will you do something? You're going to say, well, I need you to come and participate. I need you to do it too. I need you to be a part of this. And so God, would I have the faith, would I have the courage to step forward and to participate in what you're trying to do in the world? Would you help me to step into somebody else's story for the benefit of themselves? God, we love you this morning. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. The band's going to come back and lead us through a song. And as we sing this song, as as you read these lyrics, this is a new song we've never done here before, but it talks about being more like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for every single one of us is that we would all be more like Jesus. And then we're going to sing a hymn, which I know you're probably thinking like, Anchored Hope's allowed to do hymns? I didn't even know that. No? I know. No, you know what? I asked the band to do this song. 
And we did it in Wright City a couple weeks ago at our other campus. And it's because it's a hymn. It's near and dear to my heart. My oldest memory of worship is singing this hymn. Because it just talks about how great God is. How much he's worthy of our faith and our trust and our confidence. And I don't know. It might mean something to you too. It might not. I had somebody at the door after first service say, you know, it was that song that they sang when I got saved when I was young. So this morning, as we worship, this is a time to just put our lives in the hands of God. To make a commitment that when we leave here, we're going to actually put this into practice. We're going to actually do what we've heard. And we're going to answer the call. We're going to answer the nudge. And we're going to get involved. And we're going to be a part of the change of the world. But that decision, I can't make it for you. You have to choose it. So these next few moments, I want you to use this time to lean on him, to depend on him, to put your trust in him. Will you stand with us as we sing this morning?